Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slate. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. So we'd like to welcome you all back here as we continue our discussion on the things that the Air Force values in its officers. The past two episodes, we visited the topics of executing the mission and then leading airmen, which gives us that typically a cliche phrase of mission first, people always. But as we'll find out in this episode today, it takes a lot more than just a willingness to focus on the mission first and a bunch of people motivated to accomplish a mission to actually get the mission done. What do you think there, Reed? It all boils down to the resources, the money, money, money. And this is a super important thing, and it is a lot more important than I ever understood when I was starting my journey to become an officer. So hopefully we'll give you guys some good tools, some good references. We've got a bunch of links that we'll probably post in the show notes about all of this as we do our best to explain you know, the budgetary process for the United States government and its impact on you as an officer. Yeah. So as a reminder, if you go to Air Force Instruction 1-2, if you look in there, you'll see the responsibilities of an officer, which they are entrusted with resources to accomplish a stated mission. Those resources include manpower, funds, equipment, facilities and environment, guidance, and lastly, airmen's time. As an officer, you have to manage these resources well in order to, number one, take care of the mission. You have to execute the mission using the resources that are available to you. And being a good steward of those resources, as we will see here in in just a little bit, those resources are provided by the taxpayer. And so we have to be a good steward of their money and that public trust. And then one of those resources is the manpower, which goes back to our discussion from last week that you need to take care of your people so that they can take care of the mission. So on that note there, Reed, why don't you lead us through a little bit of a discussion of where we get these resources from? All right. So I know all of our listeners came here today just for a brief civics lesson. Just kidding, they didn't, but it's essential. You've got to understand it. So we're going to go through it very briefly. Again, we've collected some links. We'll put those in the show notes so you can have some background reading. All right, the budget. How do we get funds in the federal government? Well, first and foremost, Congress is the only organization that has the authority to collect taxes and spend money. And so it's going to involve Congress. Wait, wait, wait. We got to emphasize that point. So the Department of the Air Force falls under the Department of Defense, which is led by Secretary of Defense, who reports directly to the President of the United States, who is the commander in chief of the military. But you're saying that because of the way our government is set up, 
the president does not have the authority to spend money. That authority to spend money instead has to come from Congress. Yep. Welcome to Checks and Balances. Good job, Colin. You've done well. Thank you. All right. So how does a budget get created? How does it start? All the agencies and departments that are part of the federal government create a budget request. And this request goes to the White House. The White House puts them all together. And this becomes the presidential budget, essentially. And they send it to Congress. Now, the Air Force contributes to this, like Colin stated, through the DOD portion of this request. And this involves a process called the POM or the Program Objective Memorandum. And essentially, the Air Force says, this is what we need to do the mission that we need to do. And all of this gets put together into the big budget. The president creates it, sends it to Congress. The next step is that Congress debates, adjusts, creates a budget through the process of what it is that the Congress does, legislation, then they send this budget back to the president who signs it or doesn't. This process that the Congress goes through is called appropriations. It's where they actually allocate funds against specific things. We'll talk more about this in a little bit. And that is essentially how a budget gets done. Now, a key component of this is all of this has to get done before the end of the fiscal year. Colin, what's the fiscal year for the federal government? Oh, gosh. All right. <laughs> We're getting into some of the, the nitty-gritty and fun things about how the budget works. The fiscal year runs from October 1 to September 30th of the following year. So it does not follow our Julian calendar that runs January through December, but starts at the beginning of October and ends in September. Exactly. And so what happens when this process isn't completed in time is the federal government runs out of money and we have a government shutdown. There's a common mechanism that is used to avoid shutdowns and it's called a continuing resolution or a CR. And in a sense, it's another appropriations bill. It's the Congress saying you can spend this money and by and large, it usually says, whatever we've told you in the past, just keep doing that. Here's a pot of money you can continue to spend. Yeah, essentially, Congress is saying is we haven't gotten our act together yet to be able to actually pass a, a legitimate budget. So what we've always done is what we're going to continue to do. And this is a highly political process, highly politicized. It's very messy. Anytime the budget discussion is happening, it's going to be you know, a center of national politics and it's going to be a big, messy, sticky process. So, okay, why do we care? Again, here we are, you know, officers doing our officer thing, trying to lead in the Air Force. If you don't get the budget through, you don't know how much money you have. If you don't have, know how much money you have, you don't know what resources, what manpower, what facilities, what equipment, what supplies. And then you have the knock-on effects of that. Okay, so that's the budget process, and we talked a little bit about what is appropriations. All right, there's one more bill that we need to talk about that's really important with respect to defense spending. This is the National Defense Authorization Act, or the NDAA. A little background on this, it's basically been passed every year since 1961. It's one of the most bipartisan and like longest-running 
continuously pass bills that is out there. That hasn't stopped it from being difficult or controversial. It's just a point of fact. The thing that the NDAA does is it provides the roadmap. It says, this is what you may spend your money on when you get it. So it's not an appropriations bill, which actually gives you money. It's a budget. This is what you can spend money on when you get it. And so between these two things, the actual budget and the NDAA dictates how we can spend our money as the DOD. Does that cover it, Colin? Does that cover how we get money in the, in the U.S. Air Force? Yeah, I think that gives us enough information on how we as officers in the Air Force are affected by what happens at the federal level. That our money doesn't just appear out of nowhere. It has to come from somewhere, and that somewhere is Congress. And Congress, as we know, the federal government, as we know, can often find itself in gridlock. It can find itself functioning or not functioning at any given moment. So we as federal employees, as officers in the Air Force, are subject to the political nature of of what Congress and the the president are involved in. Absolutely. Yeah, it's entirely different than a market-driven business where you are selling a product, you are focused on the success of that product or service, and when people buy, subscribe, like your product or service, your company makes money. And yet, we are very much tied to the finances, the, the resources we have. And it leads to a lot of trickle-down effects. And I think that's where we're going to go next. We're going to talk about the so what. How does this impact our daily life? And how can we lead in this type of situation? Why don't you start us off with the first category there, Colin? How does this impact me every day? Yeah. So one of the first things mentioned as a resource is manpower. We talked last week about leading your people. And this is where that ends up connecting with this idea of resources is that your people are a resource to you and they are paid for by Congress through this budget and NDAA. And the reality of the situation is that you are never going to have enough people to fully accomplish all that you want to. There's always more mission to be done than you have the resources for, including your people. So what that means is that managing your people quickly becomes one of the most important and challenging things that you will ever be responsible for as an officer in the Air Force. You need to you know, figure out a way to use them in such a way that you don't burn them out. Now, this is going to include setting up specific systems and procedures in order to make sure that your, your people are taken care of, that they're organized, trained, and equipped to accomplish the mission. But the reality is that you're, you're just never going to have enough people to do all the things that you need to. So some of the things that you need to consider when you're leading your people is how can you get the most out of the people that you have available to you? Consider what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What is the level of their training? How are they organized? Are there ways that you can be more effective by changing the way that they're organized or getting them a different type of training so that you're not burning them out, so that you're not grinding them into a pulp trying to get the mission done. 
Yeah, thanks, Colin. And I think we we use the phrase managing people, and it is the right phrase. Let's separate people from personnel and think about it from an idea of actual numbers of people. Do I have enough people? When someone PCSs, am I getting a replacement person? The actual bodies that we're talking about, you know, how are they organized? Do I have the flight structure organized appropriately? Do I have the right number of people working on the right part of the mission? Do I need shift work? Do I not need shift work? If I do, do I set that up with, you know, a Panama schedule or do I do, you know, different ways of organizing? And we'll talk about time in a little bit. Yeah, it's separate from leading individuals and more about managing the overall process of how many bodies do I have and what are they doing? Yeah, your responsibility as an officer towards your people is to organize, train, and equip them. Organizing them is the actual structure itself of what position they are in relative to the, the manning document. Are they the right rank? Do they have the right experience? Have they achieved their five or their seven or their nine level? Are they the right person to manage a, a shop or a section or to be a, a flight superintendent or a squadron superintendent? Do you have the right type of person in the right position at the right time? So that's the organized piece of it. And then training and equipment, that comes further down, but has dramatic impacts on how you are using your manpower that's available to you. Because if you don't have the right training or the right equipment, then that's going to have a a dramatic impact on how your people get used. Exactly. Let's move on to some of the next categories. Let's talk about funds, funding. So we actually do get some funds to perform the mission. Sometimes this is tied directly to the mission, like money for gas to fly the jet. Or it can be tied to something like travel. You have a certain amount of funding allocated to you for travel. This is going to be part of your responsibility. How do you allocate that funding? Who gets how much? Are we going to allow rental cars on a TDY? Are we following all of the joint travel regulations? We'll talk about that later when we talk about guidance. Something I see a lot of in leadership is they're talking about, are we spending our money at the right rate? So you have so much, it comes at the beginning of the fiscal year. Are we spending it appropriately or are we spending too much too quickly? Are we going to run out of money before the end of the fiscal year? Do we have enough flexibility in our budget? This is all stuff and it's a big part of your time. You spend a lot of time doing this, making sure that you have the right funds and that they're getting spent where they need to. You know, it's interesting. When I commissioned, my uncle was the command master chief petty officer of the coast guard retired and he came to my commissioning and one of the things he taught me is he said first you always need to be kind to everyone but there are three people you need to be extra kind to the people who manage your health care the people who manage your money and the people who manage your assignments he's like those three people you need to be extra kind grovel beg whatever it takes bribe within reason of course right we're not asking people to violate their integrity here but these people will become your best friends and you need to use them well and you need to understand this process because if you don't i've seen a whole lot of air force times articles with people 
getting busted in very big ways for the misuse, misallocation of funds. Yep. That is the first thing that's going to get you sent to jail is the misuse of funds. And even if that isn't what started the investigation, you know, say it's an IG complaint about leadership or something, it's kind of like with Al Capone, right? Like he was a horrible human being doing really bad things, but he ultimately got busted for taxes, you know, tax evasion. This is kind of the same thing. This is something that you as an officer in the Air Force do not want to mess around with. You want to make sure that you are dotting all of your I's, crossing all of your T's with regards to the way that you use your money. So how do you do that? Well, you could pick up a copy of the FAR, the F-A-R, Federal Acquisition Regulation, and you know, become an expert on it yourself. Or you could just become best friends with the wing finance officer or comptroller, as well as a contracting officer within the contracting squadron in the mission support group. These people are your best resource for making sure that you are spending money correctly. Now, they're going to have representatives embedded in each of the different squadrons because using money correctly is that important, but it behooves you as an officer in the Air Force, no matter where you are at any level, but especially if you are in a command position, to be intimately familiar with and great friends with a finance officer and a contracting officer because the finance officer is the one who's going to manage the actual budgeting of those funds and tracking, as you called it, read the burn rate, how quickly you are spending money, making sure that you are not going too fast or too slow so that you don't have too much left at the end of the fiscal year or have not enough to get the mission done. You don't want to find yourself two months out from the end of the fiscal year with inability to pay for gas or to keep the lights on in, in your facilities because that would be bad. And then the contracting officer is the individual who is actually responsible for the spending of money. They're the ones that sign the checks. They are the ones that have authority from Congress to actually spend money on behalf of the federal government. No other person in the Air Force can spend money. Only a contracting officer who has been given that authority by Congress can do so. So don't think that just because you've got somebody in your unit who holds a government purchase card is able to spend money on whatever it is that you think that you need in order to get the mission done, that it doesn't work that way. Become best friends with the finance officer and the contracting officer. This is definitely more in your lane, Colin, for sure, this money stuff. Because being an ops, you know about it and you know it's important and you deal with it. But this is more on your side of the base, if you will. Because again, I know these people. I know that it's important, but pretty much it was like the knuckle dragger walks into the room, help me not break this thing. And then they change our lives. You know, I, I'm not sure exactly what happens here. Colin, why don't you take us through equipment? You probably had a lot of that in CE. I have a little bit less of that. I'm mostly focused on like technology stuff, you know, computers and things in my mission. But what about equipment? Yeah. 
as we said before, your responsibility as an officer is to make sure that your people are correctly organized, trained, and equipped. So let's talk about equipment for a second. In order to accomplish a mission, quite frequently you are going to require some sort of equipment. Now that equipment may be an aircraft itself. Aircraft is a form of equipment. And that equipment must be funded, must be purchased, must be maintained correctly using all of those resources that we've covered previously, the funds and the manpower. But in addition to the aircraft, there's all of the equipment that goes into the maintenance of the aircraft, you know, such as air ground equipment or the nuts, bolts, parts, and pieces that go on the aircraft or the vehicles that are needed to support the mission or anything else. You know, this could be applied to our computers, our, our networks, our satellites in the sky, anything that is not bolted down to the ground or is a building, anything that moves in any sort of way is known as equipment. And that stuff must be managed properly. It must be fully accounted for and it must be budgeted for by a finance officer. It must be purchased by a contracting officer. And hey, if it, it's possible for you to get a different piece of equipment that is either cheaper, faster, better at accomplishing the mission, you need to pursue that. Same with taking care of that equipment, right? If you are trying to maintain an aircraft and you can find a cheaper, faster, better way to do that with a different piece of equipment or taking care of it in a better way, all while following the rules, we need to be looking at and trying to get after those things. We need to be efficient and frugal and responsible with the government's money. So similar to the topic of funds and being best friends with the finance officer and the contracting officer, you, you still want to be best friends with them with regards to equipment. But another person that you need to get familiar with and be best friends with is a logistics readiness officer, especially the, the squadron commander for logistics, because they are the ones that are going to provide you the majority of your equipment. They're going to help you to get new equipment or to maintain the stuff that you already have. Awesome. Again, I kind of feel like this is a, a call-in thing. I just show up. I never really think about it because I'm a horrible, awful, no good, very bad person. <laughs> So in addition to equipment, everybody needs a facility that supports the mission that they are involved in. So an example is if there are maintainers that are working on an aircraft, they need a hangar. They need a building that surrounds the aircraft and gets them out of the elements and is able to store all of their equipment so that they can perform proper maintenance on the aircraft. If you are an Intel officer, you need a place that protects all of your sensitive computers, servers, information, so that you are able to share that with the people who need to know. If you are security forces, you need some sort of way of protecting each of these different missions. Perimeter fence, doors that you need to badge into, bulletproof glass, all of these different things that are rolled into this idea of facilities, the place where the mission is able to take place. And the fact is that there is never enough space in those facilities to accomplish your mission. Just like there's never enough manpower, there's never enough funds, there's never enough equipment, there's never enough facilities. And everybody always wants a new or a bigger building. And so 
Therefore, you want to be best friends again with the finance officer, the contracting officer, because they're the ones that are going to buy you a new building. But you also need to be best friends with a civil engineering officer, specifically what's known as the base civil engineer. Now, the base civil engineer or the BCE is typically going to be the commander of the civil engineering squadron. So get to know that person because they are going to help you identify the requirement of the facility to support your mission and connect it to the right kind and amount of money so that you can get it funded. But the bottom line is here, you're never going to have enough space, facilities, equipment, money. You're never going to have enough people. And so your challenge as an officer in the Air Force is to be able to accomplish the mission within the constraints on the resources that you have. Awesome rundown. Thanks, Colin. Next category we wanted to talk about is guidance regulations. This is a really big category. I mean, we can't even talk about all of the other categories without mentioning guidance rules. There are so many rules, and there should be, right? We have been tasked by our government to spend our government's money, which comes from the people, and we should be good stewards of that. You know, I've had a little bit of exposure to this. I was the approving official for the squadron for a year. What an approving official does is someone in the squadron needs something or some stuff. They need to spend some money. They would make a request and I would have to make sure that they were following all the guidance that we have to follow in order to purchase that thing appropriately. It isn't like you just have a credit card and say, oh, I need some computer paper and you drive down to the local big box store and find the cheapest you can. That, that is not how this works. It's not even close. There's a whole bunch of laws we have to follow. We have to double and triple check to make sure we're compliant. Just a few examples. There are a number of environmental laws that are uniquely applied to the federal government and their employees. There are a number of made-in-USA regulations. There is the Wagner O'Day Act, which requires the U.S. government to purchase things made by blind individuals. Now, I don't want anyone to think I'm being pejorative in any way about these regulations. I'm just pointing out the incredibly complex regulatory framework that we have to operate in as members of the federal government as we spend our money. And we haven't even gotten into the idea of colors of money. Uh, If you remember back from the top of our discussion, the NDAA outlines how we can spend our money. It gives very specific categories in which you can allocate funds And you cannot move money between those types of funds. So let's say, for example, that you have O&M funds or operations and maintenance. You can only spend that money on operations and maintenance. Then there's another category of funds, which is R&D or research and development. You can't spend R&D funds on anything else other than R&D. And because you can't move money around, it can get tricky. Let's say, for example, Colin, that your squadron has a bunch of computers and they are just garbage. It's time to replace them. So you spend you know, a couple months figuring out how much it's going to cost. You notice you don't have enough money for it. So you put in the request next year, you get that funded and you're like, great, I can replace all the computers. So you replace all the computers. And now the problem is you've gotten this money at one time in the past and next year comes. You're like, well, I don't need any computer budget because I got my computers replaced this last year. So you don't request any money and you don't get it. 
Well, what happens next time you try to request money for computers is you may not get it. Because we can't move money around, we can't carry it over fiscal years, there's become this widespread attitude that you have to spend your money every year or you won't get the same next year. And the logic is, if you didn't need all the money that we gave you last year, well, then you certainly don't need that much again, so we're going to cut your budget. And this fear disincentivizes savings and people end up spending their money every year, no matter what. You go to websites that are common vendors for the federal government and there's literally a countdown clock. You know, fiscal year ends in 21 days, 17 hours, 12 minutes, you know, and the idea is you better spend all your money before the end of the fiscal year. And this is something that has been identified. Our service chiefs have gone to Congress. We'll provide a, a link of an example of this uh, when in 2014, all the service chiefs from all of the services asked for some flexibility from Congress to allow us to save money a little bit better. And they denied that request. We respect that. But it's a challenging situation to be at the end of a fiscal year with surplus budget in X category and be directed to go buy a bunch of stuff. And, you know, it's tough. It's a tough situation, but the guidance, it's a big one. It's everywhere. Make sure you're staying on the right side of the law. Yeah. Just a quick story from civil engineering. I've mentioned in previous episode that civil engineering gets to spend 90% of the wing commander's budget on the base. And let me explain how that actually happens. So I mentioned that everybody wants a new facility, right? Everybody wants a, a more space. And the way that usually works is that as we near the, the end of the fiscal year, different units on the base realize that they haven't been able to spend enough of their money. Now, this is usually O&M funds, operations and maintenance, because that's the type of money that units are typically given. And so they have this money left over. And like you were saying, Reed, there's this fear that if that money doesn't get spent, then they're just going to lose it. And really, it's the wing that is afraid that they're going to lose the money. That's where all the money truly exists. The wing commander gets to dictate you know, where their priorities are. The finance officer helps the wing commander to budget it, and the contracting officer executes it. So... At the end of the, the fiscal year, all of these different units say they can't spend their money. So the wing pulls that money back up and they got to find a way to quickly spend however many thousands or millions of dollars that they have left. And we could spend that money on a bunch of TV screens and put them up in every hallway, in every office, in every bathroom on the base. But that might not actually spend it all. And so what they do is they go to civil engineering and they say, hey, can you use this money to build some buildings or uh, perform some maintenance on buildings because buildings are really expensive. And inevitably we say, yep, we can take that money. We can execute it. We'll get it spent. And so in the 
the month and the weeks leading up to the end of the fiscal year, civil engineering is like on fire, just programming all of these different projects, connecting it to these funds, sending it over to the finance officer to get their approval and over to contracting to get it executed. And so in just a matter of a month, civil engineering can take this multi-million dollar surplus that's left over in the wing commander's budget and just eliminate it, just execute it all, get it spent down to zero. And so the reason that this happens every single year is because of this guidance, because there are so many regulations on how and when money can get used that it falls to an organization like civil engineering that spends lots and lots of money so that that money gets spent down so that we can get that money again the following year. Yeah. It's a super tricky situation and there are good reasons for it. You don't want, you know, the air force buying bombs and not building childcare centers. You know, there needs to be a balance. This is the way we work within the laws and all of this is to still say as an officer and an agent responsible for spending the government's money, you have an obligation to not be a spendthrift. You need to be frugal. You need to be responsible with your allocated funds and spend them according to the guidance to take care of the mission and to take care of your folks. Can I say one more thing there, Reed? Yeah, please do. You mentioned it earlier, but let's reiterate the point that the Air Force and the rest of the federal government is not set up like a business. It's not set up like the free market. We recognize that if there was a business that operated like the Air Force, they would go bankrupt and out of business almost immediately. And so it doesn't do a whole lot of good for you to apply that lens of the free market and how the business world works to how we do things in the Air Force. That will just lead you down a path of extreme frustration and anxiety over how it is that the Air Force and other federal agencies by congressional law use taxpayer dollars. Yeah, that's a good point. Thanks for bringing that up, Colin. Last category we are going to talk about today with respect to you know, this idea of managing resources as something the Air Force values is time. And boy, this is for me personally, this is a huge thing. I've been a part of and been required to support 24-hour missions before, and that has left an indelible mark on how I view time and how I view leaders and their way they manage this as a resource. And you'll spend a lot of time, see what I did there, thinking about how we can do things faster or more efficiently. Can we save man hours from process A in order to spend more time in process B? Or can I move airmen to do something else? But time management, managing the time of your folks is an absolutely critical thing that you must be concerned with. And I'm not just talking about like making sure that all your folks are punching the clock at exactly 7.30 and 16.30 every day. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a much bigger picture. Do I have too many airmen doing this process and it's taking too much time? If I could develop an algorithm or a product or a process that can reduce that, that's the kind of time that we're talking about here. Do you have any examples from your time? Again, 
uh, from your experience. Time on the brain. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. My time, my experience in civil engineering during my first tour on active duty taught me that my time is not my own. That my time belongs to the mission. And sometimes that requires significant time spent engaged in the mission. I'll give you an example. Within my first month of arrival at my first duty station there at Joint Base Andrews, Washington, D.C. was hit in the same week by a hurricane and an earthquake. And one of the responsibilities of civil engineering is to do disaster assessment and response. So whenever a disaster strikes, either man-made or caused by nature, CE doesn't stop. Civil engineering doesn't stop. While the, the flying mission may stop or go someplace else, while you know some other things may not be able to continue doing their normal day-to-day ops, civil engineering continues to operate in that we are out there assessing the facilities, assessing the runway, assessing all of the facilities, the stuff that is on the base to make sure that it is operational. And if it's not, what needs to be done in order to fix it? And so when this happened for that week, the entire civil engineering squadron was running essentially 24-7. We were all on shift work. We had it set up where people would work 12 to 14, 15, 18-hour days, go home, sleep a little bit, shave, get something to eat, come back and do it all over again. And that lasted a week. And obviously, that's unsustainable for the long term, but it goes to show that your time is not your own, but it's a resource that you as an officer have to manage for your people because whatever amount of time it takes to get the mission done is what needs to be spent. And if you are able to find a way to limit or decrease that amount of time, make it so that people can do things faster, if they can get around and assess those buildings and the damages that have been done faster, if they can get the electricity back on, if they can repair the runway faster, if they can reposition that satellite, if they can push a contract through faster, whatever it is, if they can do things faster, that means that more mission can get done in a shorter amount of time or the same amount of time. Awesome. You know, Colin, as you were telling your story about time, it made me think about one situation I found myself in early in my career, hadn't even commissioned yet, when I realized I was part of something much bigger and this, you know, tying myself directly to things that were happening at the federal level. It was the second time in my life that I can remember things happening on the national news having direct impact into my life. The first time I was about eight years old, desert storm was happening. I lived on Hill Air Force Base. My dad was in the Air Force. He actually had paperwork filed for separation, had an approved separation date. We were planning a move. We were packing up the house and desert storm started and all that stopped. He had to stay in the Air Force for about another 18 months. You know, all of the parents of all the kids I knew were going off to war. 
So that had a direct impact on my life, this thing that was happening at the national level and I was watching on the news. The next time that I can recall that happening was when I was at OTS and they're going through the third round of continuing resolution. The government had shut down and the squadron commander of the training squadron I was in pulled all the students into an auditorium and explained how we weren't going to get paid because of this budgetary process. And then the squadron commander began to instruct us, hey, as officers, you're going to have to manage resources. You're going to have to take care of your people. Here are some of the things on base that you have to help you do this. He taught us as students how to manage resources. And it was fascinating to me that all of the things that this commander had to be paying attention to in order to not only accomplish the mission, but take care of their people. And it really left an impression on me. And it was kind of when it started to get real that I was joining you know, a big organization doing big things that was well connected to the goings on in the world. And it just really left an impression. And I think that's a, a take home I want for our listeners. Being an officer is such a big thing. It's so much more than just a rank that you wear or a specific role you fill. It's really all encompassing. You truly have to be involved in a lot of things. And managing resources is absolutely one of those things. It'll take a lot of your time and energy to manage this stuff, even though it's not something that necessarily comes to the forefront when you think about what we do. Absolutely. I think that is an excellent way of explaining the magnitude of what it is that we as officers are dealing with, with respect to managing resources. And I just want to share a brief anecdote from my experience. If you remember back in 2012, we went into sequestration and essentially the, the federal government decided that it was time to cut way back on federal spending. And what that ended up doing, it, it turned into a furlough for the civilian personnel in our squadron. And for, I think it was 15 days, all non-essential, anybody who was not critical to the accomplishment of the mission was told to stay home and they would not be paid. However, that was just the civilians. And all of the blue suitors, the enlisted and the officers had to stay and continue working, even knowing that there was a possibility that we were not going to get paid. And I remember showing up on the first day of the furlough and the squadron was a ghost town. And yet the mission still had to get done. It didn't stop. Despite this congressional dictate down all the way to my squadron that, that the civilians uh, stay home, the mission did not stop. The officers and the enlisted still were there having to take care of the mission. It is just another example of how this is all-encompassing. This is not just a job that if your business runs out of money, the work stops. That doesn't happen in the Air Force. There are things that will stop if the money stops flowing, but the requirement to maintain national security and the defense of our nation does not go away, despite any sort of issues that we run into with regards to the budget, the NDAA, all the way down to how we manage resources at the, the level of the squadron and the flight. 
So as someone who wants to be involved in this or someone who is already involved in this as an officer, you need to be aware of these things and take them seriously. Awesome. Thanks, Colin. All right, listeners, thanks for engaging with us again this week and uh, listening along as we go through our short series on the things the Air Force values. And if there are any questions, please feel free to email us uh, at airforceofficerpodcast at gmail.com or engage with us on social media. More than happy to take your questions. And we also want to thank all the listeners that have contacted us through Facebook, Instagram, email, etc. We love engaging with our listeners and we're happy to answer any of your questions. Thanks for listening to another episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the U.S. government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement.